Welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast. I'm Jen Stevens. I'm a retired teacher, the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, and I love nothing more than building community. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've spent my life helping others through my work in healthcare and as a volunteer for various organizations. We are friends who share a love of learning, problem solving, and bringing people together. Each week, join us as we share inspiring stories and bring you new ideas designed to help you live your best life. So now let's learn something new, get inspired, and have some fun. everybody. We're so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing wonderful. Well, I am not because it's cold again. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Well, yesterday was beautiful. It was like 80. We went out and did a little hike. Today it's 69 and next week we're supposed to get back into the 30s. Uh, Same here. So I thought, oh, spring's coming, but it was just a teaser. Yeah. However, things are blooming. And pollen is everywhere. Yeah. Did I tell you that I had to start using allergy medicine again? Did I tell you that? No. I have not used allergy medicine since 2016. And something that grows down here, my body Mm -hmm. is not used to. It's different. I don't know. Maybe it's palm trees or something. But there's... That happened to me when I moved to Colorado. Did it? There's different pollens in your body. Yeah. And, you know, I follow some meteorologist in Myrtle Beach. And he is his name Ed because he's hilarious. Yes. Yeah. He's the best. Yeah. And he had a picture, like, I don't know, from a drone or a helicopter. I don't know what it was. And he said it was like out over the beach looking towards Myrtle Beach, like down by your house towards Myrtle Beach. And he said, No, that is not fog or smog or something. He said, That is pollen. Yeah. And it was like the air was just full of it. It's true. The, the waves have a pollen tinge foam to them. The foam, yeah. foamy pollen. But something here I'm allergic to differently. So I was like, I don't even know what allergy medicine there is. I don't even, I haven't bought allergy medicine. So I got Flonase. Is that helping? Yeah. Took complete care of it. Completely. Oh, yeah. So I only had symptoms for one day. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like so, so shocking to have symptoms because I was like, I haven't had allergies since 2016 and like sneezing like I have the plague or something. <laughs> anyway, I had something weird happen to me yesterday. What was that? Well, okay, you know me. If somebody tells me something doesn't make sense, I need to understand it, right? Right, yeah. Which drives my husband insane. So my insurance broker that I use to insure my house had me insured through this company for several years. And I got a letter from the company in like February, maybe. It comes up for renewal in April, saying that they were canceling my policy because my mortgage broker or my insurance broker is no longer writing policies for them. And I'm thinking, well, how is that my problem? <laughs> like, <laughs> why, why do I get canceled? Because this like, person no longer writes policies. And so then my insurance person was emailing me telling me that, oh yeah, they're going to have to get me different insurance. They can no longer go through this company, yada, yada, yada. She comes back and the cheapest rate she can get me is $700 more a year. So like 1400 to 2100 or something. And I'm like, you know, I don't feel like I should be penalized because you no longer work with this company. So I called the insurance company directly because on their website, it says request a quote. And I thought, well, I don't want to request a quote. I'm already a customer. Maybe I can just call and talk to them and they can just continue my policy. I'll pay them directly. The guy says, yeah, if your insurance agent no longer works with us, then we can't write a policy for you. And I'm like, well, no, I'm just going to bypass my agent. And I'll just either go through you or you can refer me to a different agent. Nope. If your insurance agent no longer writes for us, we can't insure you. And I'm like, could you say that is no longer my agent? I said, well, if she doesn't write my policy this year, she's not going to be my agent anymore. I will find a new agent. I said, can you refer me to a new agent? No, you can just search online and look for new insurance. And I'm like, but I don't want new insurance. I want your insurance. And right. he said, we can no longer insure you. And I'm like thinking, this does not make sense. 
right? And so I'm like, hold on a second. And he was being really kind of rude. I had him on speaker and he was very curt, like (laughs) trying to get off the phone with me. And I said, hold up, wait a minute. I'm not understanding. Of course, my husband's in the background. He said, no, just hang up. Yeah, yeah, I knew it. Yeah. I had to turn around and I was like, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to this man. Please be quiet. (laughs) He's embarrassed because this man said no, and I should just hang up the phone and go about my merry way. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm trying to understand this. Literally, because I had insurance with their company and my insurance agent left, they can no longer ever insure me again. This makes zero sense to me. Like I had to ask him like three different times in three different manners. I'm like, so are you telling me if I find a new insurance agent who writes for your company, they cannot write a policy? And he said, I cannot insure you. What? I said, this would be like if I had a personal shopper that shopped for me at Walmart and I said, you're not doing a good job. I'm going to fire you. I'm going to do my own shopping at Walmart now. And Walmart said, I'm sorry, you can never shop at Walmart because you fired your personal shopper. Yeah. Well, that's that's a very good analogy. <laughs> I My mind is still blown. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I learned today. I don't know why. So you've got to find another insurance company. Yeah. Well, I know that insurance is, it's tricky. I mean, and our insurance went up really a lot one year when we lived in Augusta. It went up like crazy. So much, I was like, what is happening here? But it just, things happen. Well, I know people have said that they've been going up this year, but I just feel like I need to do my due diligence and kind of search outside of this broker and just see where I'm at with some other companies. And I really don't, I've kind of started thinking, well, maybe they don't write for Alabama anymore, but I got on their website and they write for Alabama. So that's weird. Very weird. That is very weird. Yeah. Well, it is now time to share our weekly good news. And today we have a shout out from Shannon. She emailed us about something that happened to her in January. She wrote, in January, my girlfriends and I traveled to the Dominican Republic to celebrate our friend turning 40. And I love the Dominican Republic. I'm very jealous, Shannon. On our way back to reality, we were caught up in the airline technology glitch, and our flights out of the country were severely delayed, which meant we would not make our connecting flight. We worked with the counterperson for about 45 minutes to rearrange our flights to no avail. We also tried to use our phones to make changes, but the Wi-Fi connection was terrible. We knew when we made it to our connection city in Washington, D.C., that we would be stuck there overnight. I contacted our travel agent to see if she could do anything, and she quickly got to work securing a hotel near the airport with a morning shuttle. She reminded me also about the travel insurance we had purchased and encouraged us all to save receipts and any email communication from the airline. She calmed us down and worked to give us a nice place to rest our weary heads. So my shout out goes to Jennifer Mears with Dream Vacations. She is amazing. And you know, what I love about that story is so many people now are just booking directly, but mm-hmm. if you have a good travel agent, they can do more for you than if you're booking directly. And you know, maybe right. it's not going to be the cheapest option, but it, it'll be there when you have a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I was flying that day too, right? You remember oh, yes. that day, the day when all the flights in the United States were grounded from the first for the first time since 9-11, and I was supposed to fly to New Orleans that day, and that is why I am so grateful for Delta. Delta got my undying love that day. I already knew I loved Delta after flying other airlines since mm-hmm. we moved here, and we have a lot of options here in Myrtle Beach, but I was going to an event that people were coming to from all over the country, and people were flying all different airlines to New Orleans. Certain airlines had a whole lot more trouble getting there than the Delta people. Yeah. Well, my friend was flying out of Colorado that day to come back to Alabama. Mm-hmm. It took them like 26 hours to get uh. back home. They had to go to they had to go to Florida. They had to go like to Orlando and then spend the night there and then rent a car to drive to Tampa and then get a flight from Tampa to Alabama. Yeah. I'm like, you could have rented a car in Colorado and just drove <laughs> just drove to Alabama and been here sooner. It was really, I was just a couple hours late. That was a couple hours delayed. That's good. And yeah, I had to wait at home for a little while longer. Then and then I went on to the airport and then I had a little wait there, a little wait, but it got me there. But other people didn't get there till the next day. So it taught me a lot. I love Delta. Anyway, <laughs> we are not sponsored by Delta. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, we need your stories. 
Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. So before we get to the life lesson of the week, I'm going to remind people, you know, if you want to see the companies that I truly love, go to jenstevens.com slash cleanish and you'll find links. First of all, you can purchase cleanish if you haven't ever read it. And it's a good good time to start your, your spring cleaning and also cleaning up your life a little bit. And you'll have links for Cleanish there, but you'll also find special offers to my favorite clean companies, such as Green Chef, Daily Harvest, Dry Farm Wines, Beauty Counter, and Branch Basics. So that's jenstevens.com slash cleanish. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are joined by a really brave woman, Alexandra Harbushka. Several years ago, her life went into upheaval after she received unexpected news, news that required her to accept what she learned and to learn how to share her story with others without shame. Not only did she have to learn how to navigate this life-changing news, she also made it her mission to help others navigate their own life-changing events. She is with us today to share her journey, to help educate you on a topic that you may know little about, and to help all of us learn how to have really difficult conversations with others and how to move forward when our life changes unexpectedly. Welcome, Alexandra. I'm so excited to be here. I can't wait. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much. So before we get into your story, what is the lesson you hope to share with our listeners today? So I've been thinking about this, and I believe that we should look at things that happen to us uh, as opposed to like a negative Like this happened to me. This is the worst thing ever. Why did I deserve this? And look at it as what can I learn from this? Oh, I love that. How can I grow from this? Because this is happening to me so that I can learn. I don't want to say life lessons, but that's like a lesson, like shamefully did something wrong. But how can I personally grow? And at the end of it, practice forgiveness. Because when you go through something, there is forgiveness of yourself, most importantly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I love that because I think of of life lessons in a positive way. That's what we call our podcast life lessons because no matter what, you can take something that you've learned positive out of it. I mean, really like the ho- most horrible thing that happens in right. your life, anything, there there's going to be some sort of lesson and you're going to move forward from that. And so it's all about turning negatives into positives when you can and and learning from everything. Absolutely. Yep. We were actually just having a conversation in the DDDC. We have a online social network that we have members that we chat with and stuff. And anyway, somebody posted uh, something very similar to kind of what you said, and it was a Dolly Parton quote. I'll have to share it later. And I said, you know, it's really true. Everything that we encounter in life, every setback, every stumble, every trip and fall, every single thing has a lesson in it. And it's your choice whether you like walk away stronger and better for it. Right. So. And not every lesson is positive. I mean, we know that some lessons are very, very hard. They're, they're painful lessons, you know, especially loss, things like Mm -hmm. that, but you still can learn something as you move Mm -hmm. forward. And you were supposed to go through it. I, I look at it like this is something that I may not have known and I needed to, I needed to learn this. Right. And even if that lesson is not obvious in the moment, down the road, you're going to see that. Yeah. So hindsight. So tell us what led you to here talking to us today. Where does your story start? So let's go back to 2011. And in 2011, I was diagnosed with genital HSB2, which is genital herpes. And when you hear the word herpes or when you hear the word genital or you hear STD, that is associated with shame. It's associated with guilt. It's associated with anger, resentment. Fear probably too. Oh yeah. Fear. I, I felt like I, like every, all of my hopes and dreams had gone away. Like, why did I, why did I go to college and work hard? Why did I strive to get a certain job? Why am I, why have I done these things to try to do what I thought was going to propel me in life when now I have herpes and none of it mattered? So I had this thought that things happen to people because they made wrong decisions Mm -hmm. opposed to 
I didn't make a wrong decision. It just is, this was a part of life, right? This was right. something that happened. And I'll get into that in a second. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you hear herpes or STD, you're just, we, before being diagnosed with herpes, I would be like, well, I know what she was up to. Right. Right. Like, oh, well, I, maybe she was a good girl or a clean girl or whatever stigma we want to put around that. But we know about him. Right. Like, we know who she dated. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And unfortunately, that is where we hear all these outside, I guess, stigmas that then Mm -hmm. crush us on the inside. And there's a lot of people that are able to get through it, or if they do get through it, they get halfway through it, or it takes them years to get through it. And I like to call that the Eeyore phase. We all know Eeyore. He's the the Pooh character that has a rain cloud over him. He doesn't he just ho-hums along and he's, you know, he has, he has a hard day every single day. And, and, and when I was diagnosed with herpes, I was in my Eeyore phase for two years. I can imagine so. And you, you know, you said a, a word that I think I wanted to pull out because it's important, stigma. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stigma mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you, for yourself, for the guy, you know, the, the woman, who, whoever you're thinking about your friend but anybody, you're like, oh yeah, I know what what they were doing, and it, it just it has that whole that whole feeling of of shame, like you said. Well, and he, here's a fact: some people probably don't know. Okay, I think most people think, oh, you know, these are people that they're out, you know, getting around, right? Right. But it could be one exposure, one time, right, with a person who doesn't even know they have it. Exactly. Because a fact I saw is most new cases of general herpes do not cause symptoms, and many people infected with HSV2 are unaware they even have it. Exactly. 90% of the people with genital herpes will never be diagnosed. Wow. 90%. I had no idea. I thought everybody knew if they had it. You could be listening today and have no idea, and you could have it. Oh, my gosh. Right. Right. I mean, it, that's true. That's yeah. the thing. And that's, and that's the thing is we also, there's, there's two types of herpes. Uh, well, there's actually hundreds of types, but, right. but in like chicken pox is herpes, mm-hmm. uh, mono is herpes. But what we're talking about specifically are cold sores on the mouth and genital herpes, which are also cold sores. We right. nicknamed herpes on the mouth as, oh, I have a fever blister. Right. We have cold sores. I don't have herpes. And we've associated with genital herpes as shameful, oh, disgusting, right. you you have a lifelong STD. And they're the same thing. HSV-1, there's two out of three people that have HSV-1. And that can be, HSV-1 can be oral, it can be on your mouth, or it can be genital. Is that what causes the cold sores, the fever mm-hmm. blisters? Okay. HSV-1. Uh-huh. And so what happens is people don't realize cold sores are herpes. And we don't realize that that can be transmitted to a partner by doing things with our mouth. And then we have people in marriages, we have people in long-term relationships that end up, doesn't, don't, don't have to be, you know, but we have people that are in long-term relationships that are like, I've been monogamous for 15 years. How did I just get this down here? And a spouse will say, I don't know. I used to get cold sores, like, I don't know, in the second grade. I haven't had one since second grade and boom, there you go. Oh, so it can be kind of like latent yes. hiding in there. See, I don't mm-hmm. know anything. Y'all are teaching me a lot today. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then HSV2, one out of six people have HSV2, which is most commonly associated with genital herpes, but that can also be transmitted orally. Yes. And I just saw, yeah, the, the figure I saw was nationwide in the United States, approximately 12% of people between the ages of 14 to 49 have HSV2. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't even count HSV1. Correct. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And if you add HSV-1, it's roughly 67% of people have between, I think it's, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's between the ages 14 and 49 or whatever, roughly 67% have HSV-1. So if you add that 12 plus that 12% plus that 67%, we're at 79%, roughly 80% of the people have herpes. So like you said, you could have that one person. Well, that one person has an 80% chance of having a form or some type of herpes. And 90% of the people who do don't even know it. Right. Right. And I'm going to guess that, I mean, you think back in grade school, I knew people who had oral herpes, right? Cold sores, mm-hmm. right? Everybody. Yeah. Had. My my friend that I travel with has cold sores and it never fails before we take a trip. She gets cold sore. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> if so, 
<laughs> so funny. We were in uh, taking a trip to Texas and um, we had, you know, we're in a hotel and they give you two little glasses, right? And so we wrote, <laughs> I wrote herpes and no herpes on the glasses. Right. So right. I wouldn't use <laughs> I mean, we we laugh about it, right? right? It's like I didn't want to use her class accidentally. What I just saw was, you know, in the past, most general herpes was caused by HSV two. So people thought, oh, well, I don't have that, and I'm not with somebody who has it. I'm good, right? In recent right. years, HSV one has become a significant cause in developed countries, including the United States, of genital herpes. Mm-hmm. So it's happening a lot in our teens. And it's happening a lot in our early 20, that that demographic of being teen and 20s, because we've done a good job as a society. This is my personal opinion. We've done a good job of of protecting like the next generation of saying, hey, now we know what this is. We know it's herpes. We know how it's transmitted. You know, you're sent home from school now if you have a cold sore and you're in the kindergarten, like that type of thing. We we do a good job of protecting. Are they? Yeah. I've, I've heard of kids being sent home or, you know, let's, come back when that's gone. Okay. Certain schools. Yeah. Because I did not know that, you know, young kids don't, they, they don't know what they're doing. Well, they're touching everything, right? If it hurts, you touch it. Well, they, they do. They do touch everything. Exactly. And, and as parents, we've done a better job of going, Oh, now I, I have an idea of what this is. I'm not going to kiss my child when I have a, an outbreak. So anyways, as a society, we've done a good job of kind of preventing it, but we're still getting it right. And now mm-hmm. we're getting it genitally. Okay. Because we're not really aware that, oh, a cold sore can be transmitted down there. I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't know that. I don't think most people know that. I right. thought there were two different things. Exactly. You put the word gentle in front of it, it's different. No, right. it's not different. Okay, right. now I know. And you can tell us, but I believe that you're most contagious right before you actually have a sore. Is that correct? Right. So there's a couple of times you're contagious. And so what the virus does is the virus lives in our nerves. It lives in our nervous system. The HSV-1 virus kind of lives along our neck and kind of like in that jaw area where it lies dormant. And HSV-2 lies dormant kind of along the sacrum or the the lower part of the back. For whatever reason, that's just kind of where they hang out when they're dormant. And what happens is when they wake up or activated for whatever reason, decide, hey, I'm going to go have an outbreak today. They travel along our nerves and they go to the spot. So if you have oral HSV-1, it's going to then travel to your mouth and and around your lips. And typically for some people, and this can be both oral or genital, the the, like symptoms are tingle, Mm -hmm. an itch, more like feeling like a bug, like a spider's walking on you, like Mm -hmm. that kind of like, ooh, like I felt something. I've also described it as like you snap rubber band on your skin and there's like a burning kind of sensation or even a tingle or like a, yeah, like a a tingle, like a, like you kind of get the heebie-jeebies, like a tingle type situation. And so when you feel those, those are called prodrome symptoms. And when you feel those, most likely you are contagious and that may be leading to an outbreak. Now, some people may just experience that and that's it and they never get an outbreak. So that's why a lot of people will never be diagnosed is because they're like, well, yeah, I get a little itchy in whatever area from time to time, but I've never had a blister. Right. And also blister, the, the lesions can look like a paper cut. It doesn't have to be a big old blister that we see on Google. It can just be a paper cut. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times women, you know, we shave, we wax, we wear lacy underwear or whatever it is. And we might go, oh, that doesn't feel quite white, but I, I just got waxed yesterday. And so that's what it is. Or it just feels like an irritation. Irritations happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do they test for it? Well, they don't. Okay. That's why most people don't know they have it. So here's the thing that's really frustrating is it is not herpes, HSV1, HSV2 is not included in the STI, STD panel. What? See, that surprises me. Mm-hmm. It's a blood panel though, right? It's, it's okay. just a blood draw, right? Well, there's a couple ways. So there's three ways to be diagnosed, but it's not included in the STI panel. So here you have people that are saying, hey, I'm a responsible sexually active adult. I've just ended a relationship or whatever I'm doing and I'm going to get tested. And so you go get tested and, and your results come back of negative and you're like, great. I'm cool. good to go. Here, here we go. Right. right. You go to a next partner or whatever you're doing and you're like, I'm negative. 
if they never tested you for herpes, you don't know you have it. Mm-hmm. So um, there's three ways. There's clinical diagnosis, which means the doctor can go look at it um, mm-hmm. and they can say, yep, it's right. You know, it's on your mouth or it's on your genitals or it looks like herpes. You have the symptoms of herpes. I'm going to diagnose you with herpes. The pros and cons of that are you have a diagnosis. The cons are you don't know what type it is. Mm-hmm. You don't know if it's one or two. Then there is a swab. So you have to have an active outbreak. You have to have an active lesion in order to swab it. So when they swab it, they will tell you if it's one or two, but you have to have an active swab. So for example, I have oral HSV-1 as well. I could go in right now and say, hey, swab me, swab my mouth. Well, it's going to come back negative because I don't have an outbreak and I may not be shedding and I'll get into the shedding in another minute. And then the third, like you said, is a blood draw, which can also tell you the type. The downside to that is it's a blood draw. It's not, you don't know where you have it. So if you've never had an outbreak and you come back positive for say HSV-1, it doesn't mean that it's oral. You could also, right. it could be genital. You don't know where it's okay. located. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did, how did you learn that you had it? I had ma- a major outbreak. I mean, okay. it was like Armageddon. I mean, it oh, was- Oh my gosh. Yeah. You were probably freaking out. Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. In hindsight, like, were you able to put together any pieces like where you maybe were symptomatic, like prodromal beforehand? And you just didn't know what you were experiencing? Or do you think like that was your first outbreak? That was my first outbreak for sure. That for me, there was no way that that would have been like, I would have miss, missed that one. Right, yeah, I mean, right. But there's a lot of people, like I said, for some people, it's, it's like a little paper cut. And they're like, I never noticed it. For a lot of women, they'll get it on their cervix. And on our cervix, we don't have the same feeling, the same nerve feelings. Thank uh-huh. God for delivery. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But women, a lot of women that have it on their cervix have no idea when they have outbreaks because they don't feel it. They don't, it doesn't have the same sensation. Hmm. I didn't even think that it could be cervical. So, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Herpes can be located anywhere, just put anywhere in the boxer region. So it can be like, I get my outbreaks on my tailbone. Oh, wow. And so people would associate like, oh, it's on your tailbone. Oh, that must be a bug bite, or maybe it's shingles, or it's not herpes because it's on your tailbone. It's not on your genitals. Right. Yeah. I was going to say earlier when you were talking about the tingling sensation, if anybody listening has had shingles, it's going to be the same type of like nerve pain. Well, that makes sense. It lives in nerves, right? And then it pops up from nerves. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a positive to share with you. Great. I don't know if you've ever heard this fact. So Scientific American shared that there was a study in 2007 that found that latent herpes virus infections may keep the immune system on alert and thus better able to deal with other infectious agents. So they tested this on theory on mice and mice with chronic herpes virus infections were better able to ward off um, deadly bacteria, including the plague and food poisoning. So... Well, that's good. There's your positive spin today. Next next time the bubonic plague is is coming around, (laughs) around, I'm good to go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you think about that. There were people, I mean, obviously the herpes has been around. So I I called at Salk Institute, a university, California, San Diego, and I want to speak to a, a viral specialist that specialized in HSV. And so I called this professor, scientist, I, I Dr. So-and-so, I don't remember his name. And I I was like, all right, who's the person we can blame for herpes? Like, who's the jerk that started this whole thing? (laughs) And he's like, Alexandra, it's just, as long as we've been alive, herpes is here. Every single vertebrate, every living vertebrate has a form of herpes. So dolphins have herpes, dogs have herpes. They have their own types, Mm -hmm. but they they have herpes. So he's like, humans are the same thing. We have herpes, just like... Zebras. Well, I mean, it's a virus, okay? Just like chickenpox. And, you know, it used to be chickenpox was just a rite of passage as kids. Everybody got chickenpox, right? Like you wanted it as a kid because you didn't want it as an adult. Right. And, okay, now we give vaccinations to kids so that they don't get it. But it's just a virus, just like any other virus out there, like the common cold. There has just been, like you said, stigma and shame around this particular virus because. First, you know, for so long, anything that has to do with your 
female or male body parts is often talked about in a shameful manner. Right. Because it was, you, it was so often, the, oh, you must be promiscuous. Oh, right. you must be, you know, that, that's how we were, we were brought up. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what, I mean, I'm old, I'm 53, <laughs> but, I, you know, back in the day, you know, that was like a taboo, totally a taboo to talk about. Yeah, and it's still taboo, but, and, and that's why so many people have it. That's why so many people, that's why herpes gets transmitted is because people don't know to talk about it. People and there's where the shame it. is. Mm-hmm. And the shame. And that's why people don't disclose to their partners, even their spouse. There's people that have never told their spouses that they have genital herpes for that same reason. They're terrified. That's kind of awful in a way. I mean... Mm-hmm. I don't know how you would hide it. I don't For, know. I mean, there's that, but I mean, this is the person you have pledged your life to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you keep that a secret? You know, what's interesting is when I had my baby, my OBG, he, I had moved to, from California to Las Vegas. And so this was a brand new doctor when I was pregnant. And he's like, all right, so here's the deal. Like, does your husband know you have herpes? And I was like, yes, the whole world knows. And he's like, no, no, no. Because <laughs> he hadn't, he wasn't there. He, right. he didn't understand yet. And he was like, great. So, you know, during your delivery, if we have to do an emergency C-section, we'll have a code word so that, you know, your husband doesn't know. And I was like, no, no, no. My husband knows, the whole world knows. We don't right. need a code word. And he said, you have no idea how many spouses do not know that, their, their wife has herpes. And he's like, we have to have a code word to let her know that we're going to, we're going to do a C-section because of a herpes outbreak. Wow. That is mind blowing Mm -hmm. to me. I mean, my mind is blown too. And again, I've been married to the same person since 1991. And I can't imagine being able to keep something like that a secret Mm -hmm. for that many years. Like I can't even imagine that I would be able to, even if I wanted to, I don't know. I guess if you're asymptomatic. Yeah. And some people are asymptomatic. So for example, in in my case, I have HSV-1. I was on a date when I was 20 and my date kissed me with a cold sore. I got oral herpes and I had my first outbreak at 20, had my second outbreak at 34. So in that situation, you could easily hide it. Right. Right. That's true. You know, you knew he had a cold sore. He did. He had a cold sore in his mouth. And And you just didn't know it was transmissible. I guess. I don't know. And you know how you kind of like back back up from the, you know, all of a sudden the front front door is behind you. And I'm like, no, wait. And we had never kissed. It wasn't like we were in a, this was a date. Like we had never done that. Right. There goes that. (laughs) You know? Wow. Well, well, you know, one of the things Jen and I like to do on this podcast is talk about hard subjects that people don't talk about. Yeah. So when you reached out to us, I was like, yep, we need to have this conversation. And I know that there's people who are listening who are like, this doesn't apply to me. But chances are you have a daughter or a granddaughter or a niece or a coworker and or a son. Yeah. Or a son. Yeah. I mean, that's not female specific, but um, I yeah, I was just really reminded. Right, uh, probably right before you reached out to me, um, a friend of mine told me that she went to pick up her family's prescriptions at Walgreens, and the pharmacist just went to hand like everybody in the families. I think she just really went to get hers and her sons, but he was like, "Oh, I have you know, so and so is your daughter. You want hers, right?" And she was like, "Oh, well, if she's got something, I'll get it. What is it?" And he told her, "Well, she knew the medica- what the medication was. We work in healthcare." And she said, I'm going to go ahead and let you keep that one and let her pick that up herself, you know? And then she was just like, kind of, she felt really heartbroken for her at that point. And she was like, I don't know if I should talk to her or not talk to her, you know? And I'm like, well, I feel like if she wanted to talk about it, she would talk to you. What's your answer? So I get that asked a lot. Do I tell my parents? Do I tell, do I need to tell my roommate? Should I tell my best friend? And, you know, as a mom, I mean, I'm three years into it. I, I would hope that I could always be there for my son. I hope that he could come to me for anything. But I do understand that in some situations, you have whether it was a cult, whether it was cultural, whether it was religious, there could be some religious beliefs. And like I said, different cultures mm-hmm. where uh, that's not going to fly. I've had people, I had someone from 
Malaysia and she went to UCLA, had sex, had a boyfriend at UC- one boyfriend at UCLA, had sex with him, had, you know, had no idea, goes back, whatever, and goes to get tested. She's going to go get married. Had never had sex with her husband because it was oh. not allowed, right? And finds out and she's devastated. And mm-hmm. I'm like, she goes, what do I do? Like, so that those, that, I mean, there's such cultural beliefs. She goes, what do I do? Do I tell my mom? Like, and I can't answer that question for right. anybody, but I have talked to people that they've, they've had family members saying, I'm never going to speak to you again. Like you're not allowed in my home. You're no longer allowed in my home because of this. And that's devastating, especially because it, it, it's associated with, again, shame, mm-hmm. promiscuity, all those things. And when ignorance, we, ignorance. And when we yeah. realize how many people have it, mm-hmm. you're basically that, that person that's, that's shunning or shaming. If 79% of people have some type, then they very likely do. Right. (laughs) It's just, you just, if you can't see it and you don't know, then you, yeah. Yeah. Right. I had a a woman, um, I was at my husband's Christmas party and someone asked me like, oh, so what do you do? So I I told her. How do you describe it? I would like to know. What did you say? I go, well, I always have, I go, I always have to like brace people when I tell them, you know, I have a podcast and a YouTube channel and it's, you know, specifically based on people living with herpes. Right. And she goes, oh my gosh, tell me more. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I, so I tell her and she goes, my 80 year old mother just got diagnosed with genital herpes and is mortified. Wow. And I go, oh my goodness, what happened? Like, what happened? She goes, well, my mother has been a widow for 15 years, has not had sex in 15 years. She's 80 years old and suddenly just got genital herpes. And so she goes, how did this happen? And I said, well, either your father had it, mm-hmm. either your father had it, he either knew or didn't know, or who knows what happened before your father. But if she's right. 80, it's, if it was that, that's all, that's basically, it can lie dormant in your system for right. that long. Wow. And have no idea and not get an outbreak. Wow. And then it just pops up. Just popped up. I guess, you know, your body's fighting it off mm-hmm. and, and keeping the symptoms at bay. And then maybe you have you know, something going on and there it is. Is it true that stress can activate the kind of the virus and get cause you to have an outbreak? Is mm-hmm. that okay? Yeah. So stress, lack of sleep, adrenaline, like for example, I'm working on my master's and actually after this, I have to write an essay. <laughs> and um, there's, you know, when I'm like, oh my God, I got an essay done. I got to do this. I got to do this. And, and I'm like, my, my, my nanny leaves at four and I got to get this done before four. And like that type of stress can cause an outbreak. So it's like okay. the adrenaline's going. Mm-hmm. Or if you say you go do a, a girl's weekend and you're drinking margaritas at 10 a.m. for three days straight, and then you're not sleeping well, that can cause an outbreak. Like your friend, when you go on vacation. Right. Uh-huh. So that just, it's usually like adrenaline or, or stress. A lot of my college kids will get them during finals. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. A lot of my athletes will get them during big games. Yeah. I know. I've always asked my friend when she gets home on vacation, I'm like, you're going on vacation. That's like the absence of stress. And she's like, it's not the vacation. She's like, it's the making sure my kids are taken care of when yeah. I go on vacation and wrapping up work and making sure things are covered. And there's, you know, my husband knows what he's supposed to do. And, and Yeah. I wanted to ask you this. Now, you said that when you first were diagnosed, you had an ER phase for two years or you kind of had the dark cloud. How did you go from that, from the shame, the feelings of, oh, no, to now this is your life's work? And you're broadcasting it over the airwaves. Right. And a <laughs> podcast. And that, that's the transition I'd like to hear. How did that happen? So I was 28 years old when I was mm-hmm. diagnosed. And... I was dating a guy and I had known him for a very long time. We were really good friends and we decided to give it a try. We're like, you know what? Let's try it. Let's just try this and see what happens. And I realized as soon as we kind of started dating, I was like, when I say dating, sleeping together. Right. Because I guess we were kind of dating for like a year before, but we had never. Right. Anyway. So once I started sleeping with him, I was like, man, this was, this was not, this is not right. It's not the right relationship for me. And then I get herpes. And I, again, I was devastated. And so at that point, I realized in my mind at that point, I was like, I have to marry him. Like, this is now the person I have to marry. 
looking back 28, you're, you're, you're very young, but still, at 20, yeah. But at 28, you're like, man, I, I'm not, I'm going to be 30. Like I need to need to get married, you know, all these things. You felt and, like that was the end of the road. Uh-huh. Like you took a wrong turn and that was the end of the road. And he gave, he had, he's the one who gave you the herpes. Yeah. We both have it. You both have it. You're never going to be able to have anybody else. You might, right. I can see that whole train of thought. I can, I get it. Did you know for sure that you got it from him and it wasn't lying latent? So I had been tested about six weeks prior and I was negative. Okay. okay. And I knew that herpes was not included in the STI panels. And so I always, for every year when I'd go, and even if I wasn't sexually active, I would always ask for an STD test. Just yeah. It was part of it. And I want the herpes and I always asked for it. So I had... So you knew it was negative and, and then it was positive. Not 28 years. So I wasn't sexually active for 28 years. But <laughs> yeah. Right. Whatever it was, I had a decade, let's say... Of, of negative tests. So I, I knew, I knew that I was negative. And I also knew that this could be dormant. I knew it could be dormant. And so what I did is I, I reached out to past partners and I went pretty far back. I went like three years back of ex-boyfriends. And now they, it, that's very interesting when you do that, because you find out really their true colors and you're like, wow, you really wow, yeah. were not ever there for me. Yeah. Or wow, you were actually a really nice guy. Like <laughs> you were wow. <laughs> and that Jeez. takes some bravery to go back like that mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did that because I thought, well, hey, if I was the one that had this and I called so and so from three years ago that was like, Alexandra, I never had the heart to tell you I had this and it must have, then I wanted to tell my current partner and be like, you right. know what? This, yeah. So Honesty is something that's really important to me. And, and I was in the mortgage industry at the time. And in the mortgage industry, the truth always comes out when people try to like fake a income or I don't have that credit card or whatever, it always comes out. And so I thought this, the truth will come out regardless. So anyways, the guy I was dating, he didn't know he had it. He wasn't tested for it. He had a, had a, his STI test, but herpes wasn't included. So he didn't know he had it. And I thought, okay, now I have to stay with this guy. And so I tried it you know, a year into it. And I'm like, oh, I'm still in, you know, I'm 20, or thir- 29 now. And I'm like, oh, I'm still not there. And I got to the point where I was like, I'm turning 30 and I know I don't want to be with this guy. It was not the right relationship. And I had to make changes. And so I, little by little, I started doing self-help. Like I would read self-help books or I would listen to, that was kind of when, like Oprah was doing like her super soul Sunday uh-huh. came out. And yep. Yeah. I'd listen to that. And I'd listen to just um, like Gabby Bernstein had just started back mm-hmm. then. This, again, this is like 2011, 12, right. 2013. So this is just, and I would little by little, by little, by little, by little. And one of the things I realized at that time, I was lacking self-confidence and I was lacking self-love. And if I was lacking those two things, even if I broke up with this guy, I would attract the same guy, the mm-hmm. same type of guy. And so I realized that this is always silly and it sounds silly, but I realized like at the time my wardrobe was black. I only wore black. I even had like black lipstick and I'm not a goth person, but I was in such mourning that I just, there was no color. So I thought, okay, right. I need to buy different colored clothes. And I bought pink clothes and I bought yellow clothes. And I realized I needed to fill myself up with self-love. And so I bought pink salt and I would put pink salt on my food. And I would like, Hey, this is self-love going into my body. And, um, little by little, I got the confidence to break up. I, I moved, I like rewove my entire pattern. I moved. And that was that, of course, you know, that was my turn. That's how I broke up. Right. How did I get from the breakup at 30 to then where I am now. I had a friend the day I was diagnosed. She's like, Alexandra, you're a fighter and you're going to fight this and you're going to, you need to, you need to support people. And I was like, no way, no way. Like, I'm not going to talk about this. Fast forward, um, 2017, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time said, I was asked to speak at a podcast conference and it was, we had just, the, the topic was something vulnerable. We were given our topics and I was asked to speak on this specific vulnerable topic. And I had this whole thing planned about talking about how I got into debt at 25. And my husband's like, 
everyone gets in debt at 25. And like, it wasn't even that much, you know, he's not like you were like millions of in debt, you know, he's like <laughs> every 25 year old gets in debt. And he's like, it's, it's just talk about having herpes. No, don't tell people I have herpes. I'm not going to get on stage. He goes, but that would help people. And that's who you are. So I got on stage. I told the audience, it was absolutely terrifying. And I realized when I did that, well, the room got silent, number one, <laughs> but people either came up to me and said, I have it too. And I've never told anybody unless it was wow. a and or people came up and said, I don't have herpes, but I have my story. I have my herpes diagnosis, which is addiction, which is mm-hmm. domestic violence, which is whatever it is. And that has been holding me back. Mm-hmm. And so they, and it's like, everyone has their own story and mm-hmm. we put a glass ceiling on it and it's our handicap. And we say, well, I can't do this because I have herpes. I can't do this because I, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Fill in well, the and blank. It's not just a story. It, those are shame stories, right? Mm-hmm. Those are shame stories that are like a weight on your head, keeping you from living to your highest potential. So until you lift that weight off your head, mm-hmm. you're not going to grow past it. Mm-mm. So how do people share this? You know, when, when it's time to share with other people, like how did you share with your husband before, like when you were dating? How do you bring that up? So here's the funny thing is I told my husband the first day and he was my colleague. So I came back into the office uh-huh. and I was obviously devastated, like right. obviously not okay. I was ghost white, you know, not okay. And so my husband, my colleague at the time, I was like, Alexander, are you okay? Like, what's, are you, and I was in sales. So like, I was supposed to be peppy and out like, no, I'm not okay. And I literally like collapsed in his office, broke down crying, you know, crying on the floor, you know, that the thing that you don't do at work (laughs) at work (laughs) with a colleague. (laughs) Yeah. You don't do that, but I lost it. And so he, he knew obviously. So he knew. And then when fast forward, however many years later it was when we went to date, we had bigger fish to fry. He was a colleague. Like we, there was things we had to talk and herpes wasn't even an issue. I mean, we brought it up, but it, that right. wasn't the biggest issue. And a lot of times people think, well, herpes is the biggest issue. We had other things to talk about that were far bigger issues. Right. Right. So a person gets a life-changing news. I mean, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be herpes. It could be right. loss of a job or some other illness, or their husband has decided that he's packing and leaving. What is a person supposed to do when they're hit with that news? How do they like start to process that, accept that, and move forward? What, what do you think that looks like? So obviously, they're going to go through an Eeyore phase, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're going to go into Eeyore. Uh, number one, I would say breathe. Like You have to just start breathing and get oxygen into your body. Um, if you're someone of faith, I would say pray and, and, and ask for help. Um, even if you're not a person of faith, I'd say ask for help, but I pray. And then the next thing I would do is I would educate myself. So for example, if you're going through a divorce, what does that look like? What is, do I need, what I need to research attorneys? Like, what does that, and try and do it not in a panic way, but, but what is it? So specifically talking about herpes, what is herpes? We all have this thought of what herpes is, but what is it? What is it not? And so educate yourself on it and know as much as you can know about it. And then the second thing I would do is find a community that can support you. And that a lot of people think, well, I'll turn to my best friend. But if your best friend doesn't have herpes, your best friend can't totally be there for you. That person can be there for you with a bottle of wine and a sleepover, right? Right. They can hug you and tell you it's all going to work out. But those are kind of empty words. Right. Right. So if you're going through some sort of grief, which is usually a diagnosis or a personal 911 or something we're talking about here, you need to find a community that's been through that or is going through it at the same time. Yeah. Sherry and I are big believers in community. That's what we do. We we run community. We have an intermittent fasting community and a life lessons community. But people people like to connect over common experiences, the Mm -hmm. good and the bad. The, the celebrations and the, the struggles, right? Because mm-hmm. we've, we've got somebody that understands them. Right. You want advice and encouragement from a person who's walked in your shoes. Exactly. Not a person that, you know, has right. never walked in your shoes. Right. Right. 
And depending on what it is that you have, like for example, if you're and nobody wants, but if you're diagnosed with breast cancer, for example, right. all your neighbors are going to bring by a casserole, right? You you're didn't get a herpes casserole. There's no herpes casserole. <laughs> no. Nobody's going to bring you a her- the, you know, like that doesn't happen. Don't tell people. You're alone. You're right. I mean, even with divorce, nobody's going to say, oh my gosh, my neighbor's spouse just left. I'm going to take them dinner because they probably don't feel like cooking. Right. Because really what they're thinking is, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for her, but I don't want to talk about that. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, find a community that really supports you. And I'm saying, doesn't mean you can't go to your best friend, your sister, your mom, whatever, but they can be there for you too. You, You need a village, but um, find a find a community that's like I I get what we're going through and mm-hmm. and start making a plan on how do I move through this. You don't need to be over it tomorrow, and that's not going to happen. When we're when when there's a crisis that happens, we go through three things. We go for, through fight, flight, or freeze. The parasympathetic nervous system goes into this, and when this happens, the blood leaves our brain and goes to our legs and goes to our legs to make us stronger to make us run. So in the sense of Stranger danger, that's great. You can run faster. You, you ideally outrun stranger danger or lion or whatever it is. In this case, being diagnosed with herpes, you don't need to be able to run faster, right? Right. So we all have our natural state of fight, flight, or freeze. I'm a fighter. Some people are freezers and some people are... are Flighters. <laughs> yeah, they fly away. <laughs> right. right. And be aware. So if you're a fighter, you're either going to like fight the cause. Like I'm going to create a march or whatever. Like I'm going to create the, Oh yeah. I'm a fighter. <laughs> me too. Okay. Me yeah. too. I'm a fighter too. Do you either want to do that or you want to fight the person? And if you're dealing with anger, that doesn't, you don't fighting a person verbally or physically is never a good idea. Don't recommend that. But remember all the blood's rushing from your brain and that's just not a good thing. If you're a flighter, you are literally leaving the situation. And for a lot of people that are flighters, they may turn to drugs and alcohol. These are a lot of times people that with a herpes diagnosis are like, ah, I am just going to pretend I don't have it. I'm never going to disclose to anybody. Um, a lot of times people try to make up for it and say they just have you know multiple, multiple partners to prove that like this didn't stop me. So a lot of emptiness in that. And then a freezer, a lot of times a freezer is like, I can't, I can't leave my bed or I get up, I go to work, I come home. I don't even open the shades. Isolating They get stuck in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So being aware of that as well and looking at the pros and cons of being all, all three and looking at it and saying, okay, how do I move through this today? What's one action I can take in this phase? That's great advice. I've never really thought about the whole fight, flight, freeze in response to, you know, stressful news or something like that or a stressful life event. But it's really true. And I think, yeah, like you said, knowing your response style is probably really helpful in overcoming it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you work with people that are going through these types of of challenges and helping them learn how to deal with, with is it just herpes or other things you work with? I, I work just with herpes. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I do have, I have a community of people living with herpes from people all over the world, all different ages. It's fascinating for me to see like, oh, you're in Africa and like, wow, you're in Canada and like, you're in Brazil. So like, so yeah, people all over the world, all different ages, specifically with herpes, it's a support group. And the the two things that I really, really really hone in on and in my opinion are the ways to get through the grief is um practice forgiveness we have to forgive that partner whether that partner knew or did not know we have to forgive that partner if that person knew and didn't tell you remember that person was probably in the flight freeze and you have to forgive that person that was the only way that that person could hope live mm-hmm. his or her life most importantly, the, the number one person you have to forgive though is yourself and that's yeah. the hardest and working on that and feeling enough. And then the second thing I really work on is taking responsibility because so many people want to blame that person. Like, well, you did this to me. And I'm like, but did you decide to have sex? So if you decided to have sex, that was your decision. Right. Right. Well, and sometimes it's easier to blame others than to accept personal responsibility. And how do you, how do you lose the shame? You know, with, with the 
the shame of, of, of your diagnosis? So I ask people, and this, again, this takes, you know, weeks, but I ask people, okay, let's write, let's have this idea of who has herpes. Like you tell, before you were diagnosed, you describe the man, the woman, whoever you want to describe of the person that had herpes. And you write down like dirty, slutty, whatever, 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 whatever. Right. And write it down. And so what is going through your mind is your mind is like, well, this is what I thought this person was. Now I got this. And my brain is processing this as like, oh, so now this is what I am. Right. You're putting those labels on yourself, whether you mean to or not. Right. Right. And that's the only way the brain can process it. And so now that's where the shame comes from. Cause you're like, wait, that's who that was. Now I'm that, but I'm not yeah. that. That wasn't right. right. So identifying it and then beginning to re like uh, un- unweave it and then reweave it together. So is the person re-identify what a person with herpes looks like. Mm-hmm. 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 Right. And like, is the person with herpes really dirty? You know, like, so all these things and, and, and working through that. So, so really a changing your beliefs uh-huh. really yeah. what it kind of comes down to. Yeah. Okay. Well, how can people connect with you? We'll have this in the show notes, by the way. I have, it's called, um, you can go to outbreakremedies.com and I have a 21 page download book, ebook that talks about, it can talk you from soup to nuts, A to Z about being diagnosed with herpes. So I do have that if you would like to check that out. Um, and you can connect with me through Life with Herpes. So I'm there, lots of great stuff. It was really my goal when I was diagnosed in 2011. The resources were Planned Parenthood or the CDC or a WebMD. And it was very sterile. Like they had like, you know, like the blue cartoon pictures of people. Like It was just very sterile. And I didn't want that environment because it's not a sterile. It's just, this is life. And it's still beautiful. And, and so I, I feel like I've done a very good job of creating a community, a website that is full of color, full of happiness with an idea to get people through it, not to sit in the resentment and anger and shame. It's really to move through it and let's move through this diagnosis and not, and not be stuck with that anger phase. That's so important. I think so. Well, thank you so much for, for all that you've done today. I learned a whole lot of stuff that I didn't know before. I did too. And thank you for the work that you're doing. It's, it's definitely needed. Thank you, ladies. Well, thanks for having me on. And I look forward to talking about herpes any other time. All right. Thank you. <laughs> and now it's time for our listener-led lesson. Heather from Northern New York has a savings hack. She said, when our oldest child left daycare, my husband and I took a beat and calculated that the cost from zero to five years old was over $35,000. We also thought about how much that money would be if we continued to save that same amount until they turned 18 and quickly realized college would not be so hard to pay for if we did that. We opened 529s for both our kids that year and maxed out on our Roth IRA savings. So for all of you who have had the daycare bubble burst, invest or save that money in a 529 for your children. Perhaps add to the savings on your IRA or that needed emergency fund, car replacement, etc. You were not missing that extra money as daycare wasn't essential and so are these other needs, even if they're down the road. That is such a good idea. That is a good idea. Because daycare is expensive. It really Just is. keep putting that money aside somewhere else. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think most people get to where their kids are in school, and then they're like, phew, I don't have yeah. to pay that anymore. Like, I remember it felt like I got a raise when the boys right? were no longer in diapers. <laughs> yeah, Just diapers too. felt like a raise. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the end of each show, we love to share motivational quotes from listeners. And today's quote comes from Debbie. The quote is from Brene Brown. It's, it takes courage to say yes to rest and play in a culture where exhaustion is seen as a status symbol. Debbie said this spoke to me because I had posted recently on the Life Lessons Facebook group that I am currently scheduling two days off each month at work. It's nice to know that I have planned days to do nothing at all or to do things that I need to do. Yeah, I really love that because it's true. Exhaustion is, like Brene Brown said, exhaustion is seen as a status symbol. It really is. But it shouldn't be. No. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. We would love to have you join us in the private Life Lessons VIP community. 
go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to become a VIP podcast supporter. Your membership ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Reviews really do help us reach new listeners. We're a community-driven podcast, and here's how you can be a part of our show each week. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you would like to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com or use the link in show notes and then listen each week to hear your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.